Book Two, Chapter Twenty One of the Mystical City of God, Volume Two, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter Twenty One The Lord Prepares the Most Holy Mary for the Flight into Egypt. The Angel Speaks to Saint Joseph, and Other Matters Connected Therewith. When the Most Holy Mary and Glorious Saint Joseph returned from the presentation of the infant Jesus in the temple, they concluded to stay in Jerusalem for nine days, in order to be able each day to visit the temple and repeat the offering of the sacred victim, their divine son, thus rendering fitting thanks for the immense blessing for which they had been singled out from among all men. The heavenly lady had a special veneration for this number in memory of the nine days, during which she had been prepared and adorned by God for the incarnation of the word, as I have related in the first ten chapters of this second part, also in memory of the nine months, during which she had borne Jesus in her virginal womb. In honor of these events, she wished to make this novena with her divine child, presenting him that many times to the eternal father as an acceptable offering for her lofty purposes. They began the devotions of the novena every day before the third hour, praying in the temple until nightfall. They chose the most obscure and retired place, meriting thereby the invitation of the master of the banquet and the gospel. Friend, go up higher. Luke chapter 14 verse 10. This invitation was given to her on one of those days when she was pouring out her spirit in the presence of the eternal father in the following words. Highest King, Lord and Creator of all that has being, here in thy presence lies the useless dust and ashes which thy ineffable condescension has favored with grace, such as it never knew, nor ever could know, how to merit. I find myself, O Lord, forced onward by the impetuous flood of thy blessings, to give thee thanks. But what return can she offer? who being nothing, has received her existence and her life from thee, and who over and above was overwhelmed by such incomparable mercies and blessings of thy divinity? What thanks can she render in acknowledgment of thy immense bounty? What reverence worthy of thy majesty? What gift to thy infinite deity, since she is only a creature? My soul, my being, and my faculties, all I have received and continue to receive from thy hands. A thousand times do I offer it in sacrifice to thy glory. I acknowledge my indebtedness, not only for having given me all this, but for the love with which thou hast given it, and because among all creatures thy infinite bounty has preserved me from the contagion of sin, and has chosen me to give human form to thy only begotten Son, to bear him in my womb and at my breast, though I am only a daughter of Adam, and made of lowly and earthly matter." I perceive thy ineffable condescension toward me, O Lord, and in gratitude for it, my heart fails, and my life is spent in affections of divine love, having nothing else to repay all the favors of thy right hand, conferred upon thy handmaid. But now my heart is revived and rejoices in possessing a gift worthy of thy greatness, since I can offer thee him, who is one in substance with thee, equal in majesty and perfect of attributes, the only begotten of thy intellect, the image of thy being, the fullness of thy own pleasure, thy only and most beloved Son. This, eternal Father and most high God, is the gift, 
which i offer the victim which i bring thee and this i am sure thou wilt receive having received him as god i return him to thee god and man neither i nor any other creature o lord can ever offer thee a greater gift nor can thy majesty ever demand one more precious it is so valuable that it will suffice to repay thee for what i have received in his name and in mine i offer and present him to thee i am the mother of thy only begotten having given him human flesh i have made him the brother of mortals and as he wishes to be their redeemer and teacher it behooves me to be their advocate to assume their cause and claim assistance for them therefore father of my only begotten god of mercies i offer him to thee from all my heart with him and because of him i beg thee to pardon sinners to pour out upon the human race thy mercies of old and to open new fountains for the renewal of thy wonders ecclesiasticus chapter thirty eight verse six this is the lion of judah become a lamb which takes away the sins of the world apocalypse chapter five verse five he is the treasure of thy divinity such prayers and petitions the mother of piety offered up in the first days of her novena in the temple to all of them the eternal father responded accepting the offer of his only begotten as a pleasing sacrifice being more and more enamored with the purity of his only and chosen daughter and looking upon her sanctity with benign pleasure as an answer to her petitions he conceded to her new and great privileges among which was also this one that as long as the world should last she should obtain all that she would ever ask for her clients that the greatest sinners if they availed themselves of her intercession should find salvation that in the new church and law of the gospel she should be the co-operatrix and teacher of salvation with christ her most holy son this was to be her privilege especially after his ascension into heaven when she should remain as queen of the universe as the representative and instrument of the divine power on earth this i will show more particularly in the third part of this history many other favors and mysteries the most high conferred upon the heavenly mother in answer to her prayers they however are beyond the reach of spoken language and cannot be described by my short and limited terms in the course of these manifestations on the fifth day of the novena after the presentation and purification while the heavenly lady was in the temple with the infant on her arms the deity revealed itself to her although not intuitively and she was wholly raised and filled by the spirit it is true that this had been done to her before but as god's power and treasures are infinite he never gives so much as not to be able to give still more to the creatures in this abstractive vision the most high visited anew his only spouse wishing to prepare her for the labors that were awaiting her speaking to her he comforted her saying my spouse and my dove thy wishes and intentions are pleasing to my eyes and i delight in them always but thou canst not finish the nine days devotion which thou hast begun for i have in store for thee other exercises of thy love in order to save the life of thy son and raise him up thou must leave thy home and thy country fly with him and thy spouse joseph into egypt where thou art to remain until i shall ordain otherwise for herod is seeking the life of the child the journey is long most laborious and most fatiguing 
do thou suffer it all for my sake, for I am, and always will be, with thee. Any other faith and virtue might have been disturbed, as the incredulous really have been, to see the powerful God flying from a miserable earthly being, and that he should do so, in order to save his life, as if he, being both God and man, should be affected by the fear of death. But the most prudent and obedient mother advanced no objection or doubt. She was not in the least disturbed or moved by this unlooked-for order. Answering, she said, My lord and master, behold thy servant with a heart, prepared to die for thy love if necessary. Dispose of me according to thy will. This only I do ask of thy immense goodness, that overlooking my want of merit and gratitude, thou permit not my son and lord to suffer, and that thou turn all pains and labor upon me, who am obliged to suffer them. The Lord referred her to St. Joseph, bidding her to follow his directions in all things concerning the journey. Therewith she issued from her vision, which she had enjoyed without losing the use of her exterior senses, and while holding in her arms the infant Jesus. She had been raised up in this vision only as to the superior part of her soul, but from it flowed other gifts, which spiritualized her senses, and testified to her that her soul was living more in its love than in the earthly habitation of her body. On account of the incomparable love which the queen bore toward her most holy son, her maternal and compassionate heart was somewhat harrowed at the thought of the labors which she foresaw in the vision impending upon the infant God. Shedding many tears, she left the temple to go to her lodging place, without manifesting to her spouse the cause of her sorrow. St. Joseph thought therefore that she grieved on account of the prophecy of Simeon. As the most faithful Joseph loved her so much, and as he was of a kind and solicitous disposition, he was troubled to see his spouse so tearful and afflicted, and that she should not manifest to him the cause of this new affliction. This disturbance of his soul was one of the reasons why the holy angel spoke to him in sleep, as I have related above, when speaking of the pregnancy of the queen. For in the same night, while St. Joseph was asleep, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and spoke to him as recorded by St. Matthew. Arise, take the child and its mother, and fly into Egypt. There shalt thou remain, until I shall return to give thee other advice. For Herod is seeking after the child, in order to take away its life. Immediately the holy spouse arose, full of solicitude and sorrow, foreseeing also that of his most loving spouse. Entering upon her retirement, he said, my lady, God wills that we should be afflicted, for his holy angel has announced to me the pleasure and the decree of the Almighty, that we arise and fly with the child into Egypt, because Herod is seeking to take away its life. Encourage thyself, my lady, to bear the labors of this journey, and tell me what I can do for thy comfort, since I hold my life and being at the service of thy child and of thee. My husband and my master, answered the queen, if we have received from the hands of the Most High such great blessings of grace, it is meet that we joyfully accept temporal afflictions. Job chapter 2 verse 13 We bear with us the Creator of heaven and earth. If He has placed us so near to Him, what arm shall be able to harm us, even if it be the arm of Herod? Wherever we carry with us all our good, the highest treasure of heaven, our Lord, our guide and true light, there can be no desert. 
but he is our rest our portion and our country all these goods we possess in having his company let us proceed to fulfill his will then most holy mary and joseph approached the crib where the infant jesus lay and where he not by chance slept at that time the heavenly mother uncovered him without awakening him for he awaited those tender and sorrowful words of his beloved fly away o my beloved and be like the roe and the young heart upon the mountains of aromatical spices come my beloved let us go forth into the field let us ride in the villages canticles chapter eight verse fourteen and chapter seven verse eleven and the tender mother added sweetest love meekest lamb thy power is not limited by that of earthly kings but thou wishest in thy exalted vision to hide it for love of men who among mortals can think of taking away thy life o my god is it not in thy power to annihilate all life since thou givest life to all why should men take away thine john chapter ten verse ten since thou visited them in order to give them eternal life why should they wish to give thee death but who shall comprehend the secrets of thy providence romans chapter eleven verse thirty four allow me then o lord and light of my soul to awaken thee for when thou sleepest thy heart is awake some such sentiments were also expressed by saint joseph then the heavenly mother falling upon her knees awakened the sweetest infant and took him in her arms jesus in order to move her to greater tenderness and in order to show himself as true man wept a little o wonders of the most high in things according to our judgment so small yet he was soon again quieted and when the most holy mother and saint joseph asked his blessing he gave it them in visible manner gathering their poor clothing into the casket and loading it on the beast of burden which they had brought from nazareth they departed shortly after midnight and hastening without delay on their journey to egypt as i will relate in the following chapter i will add here what i have been made to understand as to the concordance of the two gospels of st matthew and st luke in regard to this event for since all of them wrote under guidance and light of the holy ghost each of them knew what the other three had written and what they had omitted to say in their gospels hence it happened that according to the divine predisposition some of the happenings of the life of christ and of the gospel were described by all four of the evangelists while again some other things mentioned by one were omitted by the others saint matthew describes the adoration of the kings and the flight into egypt while these events were not mentioned by saint luke he again describes the circumcision presentation and purification which are omitted by saint matthew thus saint matthew after referring to the departure of the magi immediately without speaking of the presentation relates that the angel appeared to saint joseph commanding him to fly into egypt but it does not follow therefrom that the child had not been presented before that time in the temple for it is certain that this was done after the departure of the kings and before the flight into egypt as is narrated by saint luke thus likewise although saint luke after describing the presentation and purification immediately mentions that the holy family lived in nazareth we must not conclude that they had not before that time lived in egypt he writes nothing of this flight into egypt either before or after because it had already been recorded by saint matthew 
and this flight took place immediately after the presentation, before Most Holy Mary and Joseph returned to Nazareth. As St. Luke had received no commission to write about this journey, it was natural that, in continuing his history, he should mention the return to Nazareth immediately after the presentation. To say that, having fulfilled what the law commanded, they returned to Galilee, was not to deny the flight into Egypt, but it was merely continuing the narrative without mentioning the flight from Herod. Even the very text of St. Luke intimates that the return to Nazareth happened after their sojourn into Egypt, for he says that the child grew and increased in wisdom, and that grace was manifested in him, which could not have been before he had passed the years of infancy. Hence it must have been after his return from Egypt, and at an age when the use of reason usually begins to show itself in children. I was also given to understand how foolish it is in the infidels or incredulous to stumble against this cornerstone of Christ, even in his infancy, and to take offense at seeing him fly into Egypt in order to defend himself against Herod, as if this were on account of his weakness and not a mystery, and as if it had happened for no higher purpose than to defend his life against the cruelty of a wicked man. For the well-disposed souls, the words of the evangelists are amply sufficient, since he says it happened in order for the prophecy of Osea might be fulfilled, who prophesies in the name of the Eternal Father. And I called my son out of Egypt. Osea chapter 11 verse 1 The ends which he had in view in sending him there, and in calling him thence, are most exalted and mysterious. Of these I will say something anon. If not all of the doings of the incarnate word are equally admirable and sacramental, yet no one with sane judgment can dispute or ignore the sweet providence of God in directing the secondary causes while following full liberty of the human will. Ecclesiasticus chapter 15 verse 14 For this reason, and not for want of power, he permits so many idolatries, heresies, and other sins, which are not any smaller than that of Herod. For this reason he permitted the crime of Judas, and all those which followed in the sufferings and crucifixion of Christ. Certainly he could have prevented all these sins, and yet would not, not only because he wished to work our redemption, but also in order that he might secure to man freedom of his will in all his actions. He was ready to give to men the helps and graces, according to his divine providence, whereby they could accomplish the good, if they would only use their free will to attain it, in the same degree as they were using it to follow evil. In this sweetness of his providence, he gives sinners time, hoping for their conversions, as in the case of Herod, if he would use his absolute power and perform great miracles for preventing the course of secondary causes, the order of nature would be confounded, and to a certain extent, he would contradict himself in his double role as author of grace and as author of nature. Therefore, miracles must happen but rarely, and on special occasions for particular reasons, or when some end is to be served. Therefore God reserves them for the manifestations of his power at certain times. He makes himself known as the author of his works by bringing them into existence and preserving them independently of creatures. Neither must we wonder that he should consent to the death of the innocent children, which Herod murdered, 
for it would not have been to their benefit to save them through a miracle, since by their death they were to gain eternal life, together with an abundant reward, which vastly recompensed them for the loss of their temporal life. If they had been allowed to escape the sword and die a natural death, all would eventually not have been saved. The works of the Lord are just and holy in all particulars, although we do not always see the reasons why they are so. But we shall come to know them in the Lord, when we shall see him face to face. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven, Most Holy Mary, gave me. My daughter, what thou must especially learn from this chapter is, that thou accustom thyself to humble thanksgiving for the benefits which thou receivest, since thou, among many generations, art so specially signalized by the riches of grace with which my son and I visit thee without any merit of thine. I was wont to repeat many times this verse of David. What shall I render to the Lord for all the things which he hath rendered to me? Psalm 115 verse 12. In such sentiments I humiliated myself to the dust, esteeming myself altogether useless among creatures. Therefore, if thou knowest what I did as mother of God, consider what then is thy obligation, since thou must with so much truth confess thyself unworthy and undeserving of all thou receivest, and so poorly furnished for giving thanks and for making payment. Thou must supply thy insufficiency and thy misery by offering up to the Eternal Father the living host of his only begotten Son, especially when thou receivest him in the Holy Sacrament, and possesses him within thee. For in this thou shouldest also imitate David, who, after asking the Lord what return he should make for all his benefits, answers, I will take the chalice of salvation, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 115 verse 13. Thou must accept the salvation offered to thee, and bring forth its fruits by the perfection of thy works, calling upon the name of the Lord, offering up his only begotten. For he it is who gave the virtue of salvation, who merited it, who alone can be an adequate return for the blessings conferred upon the human race, and upon thee especially. I have given him human form, in order that he might converse with men, and become the property of each one. He conceals himself under the appearances of bread and wine, in order to accommodate himself to the needs of each one and that each one might consider him as his personal property, fit to offer to the Eternal Father. In this way, he furnishes to each one an oblation, which no one could offer otherwise, and the Most High rest satisfied with it, since there is not anything more acceptable, nor anything more precious, in the possession of creatures. In addition to this offering, is the resignation with which souls embrace, and bear with equanimity and patience, the labors and difficulties of mortal life. My most holy son and I were eminent masters in the practice of this doctrine. My son began to teach it from the moment in which he was conceived in my womb, for already then he began to suffer, and as soon as he was born into the world, he and I were banished by Herod into a desert, and his sufferings continued until he died on the cross. I also labor to the end of my life, as thou wilt be informed more and more in the writing of this history. Since, therefore, we suffered so much for creatures and for their salvation, I desire thee to imitate us in this conformity to the divine will, as being his spouse and my daughter. Suffer with a magnanimous heart, 
and labor to increase the possessions of thy lord and master namely souls which are so precious in his sight and which he has purchased with his life-blood never shouldest thou fly from labors difficulties bitterness and sorrows if by any of them thou canst gain a soul for the lord or if thou canst thereby induce it to leave the path of sin and enter the path of life let not the thought that thou art so useless and poor or that thy desires and labor avail but little discourage thee since thou canst not know how the lord will accept of them and in how far he shall consider himself served thereby at least thou shouldest wish to labor assiduously and eat no unearned bread in his house proverbs chapter thirty one verse twenty seven end of chapter twenty one